Your majesty, thank you that you are with us. You're always with us. And we trust in you. We depend on you. We pray that the glory of Christ will shine through us. It's not our work in ourselves, but it's your work in us and through us. Like 2 Corinthians 13, Paul speaks of Christ speaking in him. May it be that now so that your heart will be heard in and through us. Thank you for this brother and his heart for you. And we pray that we, we will be agents of your glory and your honor, your honor alone. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. 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 I have with me your commentary on Galatians, which has been a great edification to my life. I, I pulled a quote from Christopher Tuckett from Oxford University. He said, this work is a massive achievement from which all students of Galatians will profit for years to come. And also from Michael Bird from Australia's Ridley College. This book has an erudition and thoroughness that is simply unmatched. I just want to say publicly, thank you for your time, energy, and effort in writing this book. It has been a great edification to my life and many others. Thank you. I, I love I love to be in God's Word. It's such a privilege for me to get to do that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful. Now, I should have gone back and read before this interview what I said, because I, I'm sure I don't remember it all, but anyway. <laughs> well, I want to hone in tonight, put the microscope to two verses in Galatians chapter 2. It's 20 and 21. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. My, my question is, first question is, are these words the tail end of Paul's rebuke to Peter? That's very debated, um, whether he's actually still quoting his debate with Peter. Uh, he, he was a few verses before this, or, or whether this is Paul extrapolating, uh, bringing out the implications for the particular situation there among the Galatian Christians. Very interesting. If it If it is, like you said, grabbing a hold of the implications for the Galatians. Why do you think he would choose such a, a moment where there's a public rebuke? Is he trying to show how severe this issue is? Yeah. Normally, Jewish practice attested in the Dead Sea Scrolls and the rabbis and so on, and also attested by Jesus, like in, in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, especially 15 through 17, Jesus lays it out as well. Rebuke must not shame a person publicly. It must be in private. And you only take it to a more public level if the private doesn't work. So why does Paul call Peter on the carpet publicly? It's got to be a pretty severe issue. Peter is probably thinking, okay, I don't want to offend my constituents back home, you know, I don't want to cause division. I want to keep unity in the church. 
And back home in Jerusalem, a lot of Judeans were, you know, concerned about eating with Gentiles. You know, we have our, our witness to our fellow Jerusalemites. So Peter may have good motives in a sense. The problem is, okay, Peter's uh, mission, according to Galatians 2, was especially to the circumcision, especially to his fellow Jewish believers. Paul's mission, I mean, they, they overlapped, but Paul's mission in Galatians 2 is especially to Gentiles. So now Peter's in Antioch, and, you know, to, to not offend people back home in case word gets back, he's withdrawing from table fellowship with Gentiles that he's already begun. To break table fellowship in antiquity was a declaration of enmity. <laughs> so, um, I mean, table fellowship was so important. It established such a covenant relationship between people that it's, uh, I believe it's in Homer's Iliad, you've got these two warriors circling each other, ready to fight. When one of them, you know, they're saying, I'm so-and-so, son of so-and-so. And, and the other one says, oh, wow, your dad hosted my dad at a meal a generation ago. There's a covenant relationship between our families. We can't fight each other. To withdraw from table fellowship, though, was like declaring enmity. And this is treating the Gentile Christians as second-class citizens because they're not circumcised. So Peter's done this publicly. Paul has to do it in the moment. He has to publicly call him on the carpet because this is like undercutting the ministry there in Antioch. Wow, that's very severe. Um, there's a almost mystical statement here in these precious verses where he says, crucified with Christ. How is it possible that Paul can be crucified with someone who had been crucified many years earlier? Yes. Um, Paul elsewhere speaks of humanity in Adam and humanity in Christ. So not, you know, yeah, the Adam stuff, people go off on a lot of things, but just speaking theologically and not, not going into all the other stuff. Um, but we as humanity have been sitting pretty much from the beginning. And therefore, we've been under the sentence of death. We, we took ourselves out of dependence on God. We've been alienated from God. Humanity is under the sentence of death. And the way that, that we could be brought back to relationship with God, reconciled to God, is that Jesus came and he, as one of us, embraced that death for us on our behalf. And when he rose into newness of life, we who died with him were raised with him. And the way that that works is that we have, you know, we were born into Adam, so to speak, born into sinful humanity, um, born into a line of sinful humans. But Paul speaks of us being baptized into Christ. Now, again, there are debates about whether that's speaking of baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ, whether that's water baptism that affects it. So I won't go into all, all of that. 
But Paul will speak about that in Galatians 3, I think verse 29, where, uh, and, and, and actually in the context, starting with 326, you know, we're all children of God, uh, children of Abraham, because we're children of God. And uh, so, you know, we, we've been, we've become children of Abraham, we've become children of God, and we are clothed with Christ. That that language goes back to the the Old Testament, where it sometimes speaks of being clothed with the Spirit, literally. So we are clothed with Christ. We are baptized into Christ. Well, baptism back then, again, not to get into debates about today, but baptism in the first century, they dunked people. <laughs> they immer well, actually, they immersed themselves, maybe under supervision, but. They, they would be completely covered with that. So, so similar to the image of clothing, Christ being in us, and again, uh, since we're talking about baptism with the Lord's Supper, which I don't think comes up in, in, in Galatians, but uh, that's like ingesting and uh, taking inside, and then baptism is like covering. And what these represent, First um, Corinthians 12, 13, the Spirit has baptized us into the body of Christ, and we drink of the Spirit. So again, the external and the internal images. I mean, we're just like to be pervaded, permeated by Christ and by the Spirit. So like if you if you put a piece of cloth in, in water, and it, and it starts soaking up the water, um, the, the, the word uh, bapto can, can apply to that too. Um, to be saturated with. And so, but we've already been incorporated into Christ's body when we became his followers. And we continue to identify with Christ and everything. So Paul, like in Philippians says, you know, I mean, he's already talked about what we are in Christ. We've been put right with God in Christ, justified is the way it's often translated, but uh, put in right relationship, declared righteous, but then to live out that gift of righteousness in Christ, which is a big thing in Galatians because, you know, he's he's been talking about it's not by our works, it's not by our ethnicity or whatever else, it's, it's because of what God has done for us in Christ. And all we have to do is welcome that. It's finished in Christ. But then to live that out, what God has done in us in Christ, Paul says, that his desire is to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection and ultimately to be conformed fully to his image. When Jesus comes back, we will be, uh, our own body will be made like his glorious body. Uh, or as First John says, we will, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And in the same context in First John, talks about how um, we, we uh, whoever, whoever sins or sins regularly, okay, there's debates about that too, but has never seen him or known him. But when we, when we uh, behold him, we'll be made fully like him. And, and John says, everyone that has this hope within himself purifies himself even as he is himself or herself even as he is pure so it's like as we continue to to look on his glory second corinthians 3 
um, by the Spirit, we experience him, we continue to be conformed from one level of glory to another into the image of Christ, who is, he goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 4, the image of God. Um, there's just so much, but yeah, it's a, uh, Paul uses all this different language to try to share this is what God has done for us in Christ. And, you know, when Christ died to sin, we died to sin with him if we are in Christ. And we've been raised up with Christ. And therefore, we are able to walk in newness of life. That's Romans 6. But it's all over the place in Paul. So the walking in newness of life would kind of go with the next part where there's another strange statement where he says, the life I now live, I, I live by faith. Or sorry, he says, um, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about, even more about what you're saying, where it is Jesus who is living through us? How does that even make sense? What we were in the world we aren't anymore so paul uses that language he speaks of being crucified to the law not that the law was bad and in romans he extrapolates about the usefulness of the law uh, the good things the law points towards the way of faith it teaches us about relationship with god it teaches us ethics and to some extent and so on but um in in the context in which he's speaking of it crucified to using the law as a way to be righteous before God, because it would never be enough. But because we're in Christ, God's beloved son, that's a gift, the gift of righteousness. And so we live that out because Christ lives in us. So it's already accepted, but because of the way Christ works in us, and I, and I, I myself, I want to be conscious of this continually, but I admit that I'm not always paying attention to this. But God does it in me anyway. I mean, the fruit of the Spirit has been, you know, the more I get saturated with because he lives in me, the more that fruit of the Spirit grows. So, you know, he's revisiting that in, in Galatians 5, Galatians 6. He speaks of being crucified to this world, so he doesn't boast in anything in this world. Um, he just boasts in the cross of Christ. And he... He says that we we died to sin, died to the way of the flesh, um, and and here he speaks of living life in the flesh. So it's, I mean, we're still in our bodies. We're still seeking to do uh, God's will in in our bodies, but we're not ruled by the passions and the desires of the flesh. You know, <laughs> we're not ruled by our um, hormones. Uh, so for sexual passions or whatever, um, sexual passions are useful. The human race would have died out without them. Hunger is useful. I would have died out without it, you know, but but we but but they they need to be controlled, uh, used in the right ways, according to God's God's way. And so in Galatians 5, Paul says that that we walk by the Spirit, by by God's presence in us, not according to, you know, those fleshly passions. 
those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and lusts. Uh, so it's already done in Christ, but then we're applying it. Colossians 3 makes that same, same move. And so he talks about walking in the Spirit. Uh, walking, you know, Jewish people the, in the Torah spoke about walking in God's commandments. Well, now we walk by the Spirit. And he says, those who are led by the Spirit. So you have the, the image of walking and being led as you're walking because the Spirit is, is moving in you. They're not under the law. Uh, that is, we're not doing it to just fulfill an obligation, but we're doing it because the Spirit is transforming us into the likeness of Christ. And, and it goes on uh, a little bit later to speak of putting our steps in. Uh, it's verse 25, Galatians 5.25, where he speaks of walking. Uh, but he's using a different word for walking. This one actually he uses elsewhere for seeing where the footprints are and putting your feet there and following that. So talk about being led by the Spirit as we're walking. And in verses 22, and well, first he gives a list of vices. He says, this is the, this is the, the work, these are the works of the flesh. So if you're just doing it by personal religious means, you're not accepting God's grace, here's what the flesh looks like. And then he lists all sorts of sins. He gives a vice list, but then he follows it with a list of virtues, is what they would have called it in antiquity, in 522 and 23. And he says, against things like this, so these are samples, there is no, there is no law. You know, you'll fulfill the law if you if you have this living in you. And just like he said in 514 about the, you know, the law of Christ being love, and uh, 5, 513, uh, serving one another, well, in 522, the first in the, in the list of the fruit of the Spirit is love. Uh, that's God's heart. And as we live that out, um, that's, that's not by our fleshly works. That's God's Spirit at work in us, bringing that forward. And the joy and the peace and, and, and so on. Um, so it's it's his transformation in us. And he goes on in Galatians 6, those who sow to the flesh will from the flesh reap destruction. Those who sow to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And that sowing image is consistent with the fruit image. So we want to cultivate the fruit of the spirit. How do we do that? Well, it's not by, uh, well, Discipline is in there because that's part of the fruit of the Spirit, too, in verse 23, self-discipline. But it's not like I'm doing this to achieve righteousness or achieve status before God or compete with anybody. I'm doing this because this is who I am in Christ. I'm identified with Christ. I'm new in Christ. Old things have passed away. A new creation has come into existence, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And therefore, this is, this is what it looks like. And it's looking like this more and more. As I dare to believe, Romans 6.11, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Romans 4, he uses that word reckon 11 times because he's quoting from um, uh, Genesis 15.6. Uh, 
Abraham trusted God. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. Well, God reckoned it to our account. Do we dare to believe what God says about us in Christ? And so as we dare to believe that, reckoning ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ, daring to embrace what God has already done, he renews our minds to think this way more and more so that more and more it's his fruit comes out in our lives. That was wonderful. Uh, last question, and then I'd like you to, in some way, turn this towards the viewer. Maybe uh, a man is driving home right now from work. Maybe a woman's listening while she does the dishes. Maybe, you know, there's a student watching, or maybe a, a fellow theologian is watching. I'd love for you to turn this to them. But the last question I have for you before you do that is, will you comment on the fact that Paul connects Christ's dying with Christ's loving in the in these verses. Absolutely. And the Father's loving too, although that's elsewhere. But so much that's true in Paul and John and and elsewhere. In Mark like 12, 6 or 7, it speaks of of the beloved son. And of course, that's what the father says. This is his son. He's loved from all eternity. When God gave his son, he was giving his own heart for us, rebels against him, to bring us back to him. Such amazing love. And when Jesus, again, voluntarily, the father and the son are both, both in on this, when Jesus gives his life for us to embrace the death that was due us, to bring us back to the Father, that was God's initiative. We couldn't, our arms aren't long enough to reach up that high, but the arm of the Lord is not short that it cannot save. And in his infinite love, he gave himself for us so that we could become his again. And, you know, in, in verse 21, when he, when he says that if, if, if righteousness could come by the law, then Christ died needlessly. If there was any other way, I mean, if salvation had been you know, multiple choice, some other way of salvation, kind of God would have given his son. So, you know, Buddhism can't save you. Islam can't save you. And Christianity can't save you. Only Jesus Christ can save you. He offers us his heart. He offers us a new life. It begins now, but goes on forever because of what he did for us. Salvation isn't free. It's just paid for. It's free to us because he paid the infinite price so that we could belong to him. And he invites us to come and drink freely. Um, like Isaiah says, like John 6 says, and, and so on. All this is available to us 
we just need to believe him. And what, what that means when he speaks of faith, in English we have separate word for faith and believe, but in Greek they're like forms of the same word. I think a better way to translate it, and actually some people have argued this at length, is trust. It's also allegiance, but first and foremost, it's it's trust. We trust the one who's trustworthy. We depend on the one who's dependable. We rely on the one who's reliable. And it's not like, okay, my faith is so big. My faith is, is I wouldn't say it's very big, <laughs> but, you know, mustard seed is enough because it's not how big is your faith. It's how big is the God in whom is your faith. It's faith in the one who's faithful. So don't get your eyes on how big your faith is. Get your eyes on how big is the wonderful love of the God who gave his own precious beloved son so we could join in that sonship to use a, a word that is familiar to this podcast, I'm sure. Um, and he goes on in, in Galatians 4 to talk about that. Uh, God, God sent his son, and then a couple of verses later, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. So we cry, Abba, Father, Papa, our dear Father, who in the beloved has welcomed us as beloved also. Doctor, I feel, I actually feel such a sweetness of the presence of the Lord right now. Would you do me a favor? Would you, would you pray for those that are watching? Anything. Father, thank you. This is your initiative. It's your gift. It's not something we made happen or could make happen. But we welcome your presence. We welcome your grace. We ask you to open our, our ears and our hearts to hear your voice, to hear your heart for us, and that you by yourself, by your own spirit, whom you've sent into our hearts crying out the Father, that you will transform us more and more into the image of your Son. Oh, Lord, renew us. Renew us from one level of glory to another into his image until the day that we stand in your presence fully conformed to the image of your son but even now as we are the body of christ many members different gifts please use us that the world may see through us the glory of your son jesus christ our lord in his name that you have privileged us to be able to call on you with and invited us seeking us inviting us welcoming us wanting us to call in the name of jesus it's in the name of jesus that we offer this prayer to you amen 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 thank you so much for your time thank you so much <laughs>